Good morning, guys. My name is Nate. I'm the lead pastor here at Restoration Church. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very nervous throughout the week and on, on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings as I get ready to uh, open the Bible and teach out of the Bible. Uh, it's a huge, for me, it's a huge responsibility because I can get up here and I could, uh, I could speak about things about God that maybe aren't true, or I can, I can talk about such God in such a way that, that some people would reject him based on what I say. And also, um, I, could, I could minimize what God's able to do, and so people could, um, could lose hope and never fully experience what God has for them uh, in their life. And so it's a huge thing. Like, I want to represent Jesus well and God well, and I want people to be drawn to him and to experience him. And so it's a huge pressure. And then I'm about to walk into service today, and one of the ushers stops me and says, hey, just a heads up, some people brought pillows. And so then I've got this huge challenge because some teenagers brought pillows into the auditorium this morning, and I'm like, oh, man, like if I ever felt the pressure, like now I have to keep people from using their pillows, and people are like challenging me, like, go ahead, try to preach good. And listen, that's not fair, guys. Leave your pillows in your car. I mean, unless you, unless, like, I, I would think teenagers wouldn't have a problem with hemorrhoids, but maybe you do, and so I don't want to judge, but maybe, so maybe you're sitting on that, and I apologize for, for that. I wonder if I'm the only person, uh, let me switch gears here, I wonder if I'm the only person who's ever done this. You wander around your kitchen aimlessly looking for something to eat. You go to the fridge, you look in the fridge, you look in the freezer, look in the cupboards, look in the pantry. Look in your kids' closets, hoping to maybe find an old piece of Halloween candy, and you're just, just aimlessly looking around, and you can't find anything to eat. It's not that there's no food, because there's plenty of food, but there's nothing to eat that's convenient. It's like this algorithm of tasty and convenient. You just can't seem to find it, so you wander around, and you just can't find anything. Maybe you eat, you're, like, you're rechecking over and over again, and just, I mean, surely some other, I, I know kids do this. Because kids will be like, Mom, Dad, I'm hungry. And if you tell your kid, like, oh, make a sandwich, then they'll look at you like, what? Like, no, I don't, I don't want to make something. Is there anything else to eat? And, and I'm like, no, that's what we have. Go ahead and make a sandwich. They'll, at that moment, they'll walk away without eating anything. So it's like, this, like oh, I could starve or I could prepare my own food. I guess I'm going to die today. Uh, <laughs> It, it, it we just we just stuck there, and um, and we just walk away. I mean, you do this all the time. You wander around your kitchen aimlessly, and then you just walk away without eating anything because it's just not like man, I don't want to ever. I don't want to put any effort into this. As we're in the second week of our series, this week will be different. You know, we want this year to be different, but maybe last year, maybe in the previous years, we just wander all around trying to find the easy, convenient solution. I want this year to be different, but it's going to be, you look at what you're going to have to do to make this year different, and you think, that's too much work. I was hoping for something easier. And so we make the decision, we'd rather stay in the condition we're in, we'd rather our lives would stay the way they are, than do the work necessary to change. Why do we do that? Why would we make that decision? It's because we're lazy. 
we be, just be honest. We're, we're lazy. We want the shortcut. We want the quick fix. And many times we approach God that same way. It's a moment of crisis, and, and we always find people, they show up at church in crisis, and they say, you know what, I need God to do a miracle. And then when he doesn't just make them the sandwich, when he doesn't just do everything for them, they give up. They're like, well, I, I guess, God, I guess God, this God thing's not real. They give up, and they walk away, and they quit. You know, I don't want to pick on, and not everybody's lazy, and, and, but maybe you are. We don't want to kind of hold back any punches from you. Um, and, uh, and we'll define this because you can be lazy and you can even work 70 hours a week and still be lazy, which we'll look at. But what we don't often seem to realize is that this is a heart issue. It's not an activity issue. It's a heart issue. Solomon, calls, he is one of the authors of, of the Bible. He wrote a couple of different books in the Bible Solomon calls people with this kind of heart issue, with this laziness, he calls people with this condition sluggards. It's not a word we use often or, or maybe that you've ever heard before, but we'll, we'll define it here in a second to help you understand it. In Proverbs, which is the book of the Bible that we're looking at in this series, we talked about it last week, we'll be in it for the next few weeks, he warns, Solomon warns about four types of people says, don't go near them, and especially they don't become one of them. He talks about foolish people, which we talked about last week. He talks about the sluggard, which we're talking about today. He warns about the seductress, and he warns about the scoffer. Don't go near these people. Don't become these people. And so we're going to look at the, at the sluggard, and if you got your Bibles, open to Proverbs chapter 6. And this passage of Scripture is probably the most famous passage of Scripture about the sluggard, uh, though, may, though likely you've never heard it before, read about it before, but this is kind of the go-to text in this. And Solomon was the only author in the Bible who used this word, sluggard, and, he, and it's the only place in the Bible, in Proverbs, where you can find it. So I'm going to read here, uh, Proverbs 6, we'll read, start reading at verse number 6. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. I, you know, the first service, they woke up early and got here, so I said the second service, they're going to really be convicted by this because they were sleeping all morning. But, but what is a sluggard? It's not just sleeping, it's, it is important to rest. A sluggard is someone who's lazy, but they are an able-bodied person who doesn't work. They're, they're, they have the ability to make this year different. They have the ability to provide for themselves. They have the ability to do things for themselves, but they choose not to. They're a sluggard. You can be a sluggard in your work, but sometimes people work many, many hours because they're a sluggard in other areas of their life, and so they use work to hide from having to put work in on their marriage, 
So you can be a sluggard in your marriage. You can be a sluggard in your spiritual life. You can be a sluggard in your parenting, in your finances. Just you're too lazy to put in the work. You're too lazy to put in the effort. And so you just stay where you are. Because sluggard's not very common, um, you know, most people wouldn't self-identify themselves as that. But I can, I, I, you, you can run into them by, and you can identify them by the excuses they use in their life and for their solution, and, and, and if you try to provide them a solution. So people with money problems, if you begin to say to them, uh, you know, you should make a budget and live according to your budget, and then and you, you'll, you've, maybe you've said this or you've heard people say this, budgets don't work for me. Well, how can a budget not work for you? Because what a budget just says is, this is how much money you have, and this is what it's going to be spent on. So, I mean, that, that's, I mean, so that's not the problem. The problem is, I don't want to do the work of living by my budget. Um, more times than I care to count, I've been, uh, I've met with, uh, people in their marriages in crisis, and when we refer to them to counseling, they'll say this, and, and many people have said this, we've tried counseling, it doesn't work. Well, maybe you had a bad counselor, which not every counselor is, uh, is going to be good or is going to be helpful, but to make this across-the-board statement, counseling doesn't work, I, I don't think that's a fair statement. Maybe... If you had a good counselor and their counsel didn't work, maybe the, the, the fair statement you should say is, I didn't want to do the work the counselor told me to do. They gave me counsel on what to do, and I didn't want to do it. And that might be better. Sometimes people will say, I've tried everything, and I can't lose weight. But sometimes people in their career will say, I'll never get a promotion. Everything's political. I, I'll never be able to get ahead. I'll always be overlooked. Well, those are statements of a sluggard. And so maybe you even say, yeah, big deal. I am lazy. It's my life. I'll do with it what I want. Like, big deal. Like, what does it even matter? Well, God warns us through Solomon about the sluggard. So if we're people who say, I'm following Jesus, this is a big deal. That God's taken part of his scriptures to warn us about it, to talk to us about it, to convict us about it even. So why is that a big deal? Why, if we're making a decision to follow Jesus, can't do, are, are we, do we have to make, do we have to recognize that issue in our heart and allow Jesus to correct it? It's, it's this right here, this statement. Our character creates our circumstances. And maybe the, the reason that you're in the situation you're in is because your character has brought you there. It's your character your, that, that is, um, that's created all the circumstances around you. Now, certainly there are situations and seasons of our life where our character didn't create the circumstance we're in, but our character certainly will create new circumstances for us. So maybe your 
company that you're working for, they close down, they lay everybody off. So it wasn't your character that did that, um, but it would be your character that either keeps you in that state of desperation and that state of unemployment, or your character will lead you to a new job and to uh, a new uh, stream of income. Uh, it's not necessarily your character that caused you to be a single parent. Maybe you were abandoned by a spouse who had poor character. But your character will keep you, will, your character can either keep you from saying, this is who I am, this is my plight, or from working hard and, and providing and putting food on the table. Our, our character creates our circumstances. Who we are determines who we will be. The sluggard creates his own problems. His poverty, his hunger are his fault. And what the sluggard tries to do is to blame others, but it's his character who put him in this situation. Now again, not everybody who is in poverty is a sluggard. Not everybody who is hungry is a sluggard. Not everybody who's faced with a problem, it's their fault. But we want to make sure, we want to make, be very careful that we're not just having a victim mentality and blaming all of our problems on other people. The sluggard, though, his problems are his fault. And he'll work really hard to blame it on other people. Now, in Proverbs... Uh, in a bunch of different places in Proverbs, Solomon talks about the sluggard. And so I just want to look at the character of a sluggard. So I'll go through these real quick. The sluggard doesn't work well with, uh, without supervision. We read that in verse 7. He sleeps excessively. We read that in verses 9 and 10. He is irritating to his employer and coworkers. Proverbs 10, 26. And if you've ever had a sluggard working alongside of you, you get how irritating that is. They're not pulling their weight. Everybody has to work harder because they're not working. They're making you look bad because they're slacking off. The sluggard is not willing to work to fulfill their desires, Proverbs 13.4. They always have an excuse not to work, Proverbs 22.13. They don't plan for the future, Proverbs 20, verse 4. They start tasks but do not finish them, Proverbs 12.27. They're always dreaming and scheming, but never actually doing anything, Proverbs 12, 11. They talk more about work than actually doing the work, Proverbs 14, 23. And then they don't even know they're a sluggard. Now read this one for you, Proverbs 26, 16. Lazy people consider themselves smarter than seven wise counselors. These are the type of, you try to, you know, you're giving advice, they're like, oh yeah, I know, I know, I know, and they know better than everybody else. The people in financial problems, and then you, you maybe try to provide for them a resource, a Christian resource, whether it's um, uh, Dave Ramsey or Joe Sangle, and you're like, you know, the things they teach help people, help me, and they're like, oh, I know all that stuff. Why do you keep overdrafting your bank account? Now, last week we talked... Solomon, he compared folly and foolishness with wisdom and talked about those two things. And, and it, with the sluggard, he, he does the same thing. And he compares the sluggard with the diligent. 
And we talk about how our character creates our circumstances. So what are the circumstances of the diligent? The diligent are pro promoted. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. They will serve kings rather than working for ordinary people. A diligent person doesn't have a dead-end job. They'll always be promoted because employers and even people from other organizations, they're always looking for diligent people to hire. I, so I think of two illustrations. One, one of my favorite authors, he, he, he writes books for pastors and for leaders. Uh, his name is Samuel Chan. So he wrote a book, Leadership Pain. He wrote another book, uh, Bigger, Faster Leadership. And uh, in the book, Leadership Pain, he talks about some of his story. So he started, one of his careers, he, he started as a janitor at a Bible college. Seven years later, he was the president of that Bible college. Why? Because he was diligent. Another illustration I have, I mentioned Dave Ramsey. He tells a story about uh, his dad. His dad was um, a real estate investor, and, um, and they went to a restaurant, and they had a great waitress, and he offered her a job. So she, she hired the waitress because she was so good at her job as a waitress. She then became a million-dollar-a-year real estate uh, uh, realtor in that area in Tennessee. She got, a, she got an opportunity because she was diligent at her job. The diligent are promoted. The diligent have more than enough. Proverbs 21.5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. And the, even if you're in a season where you have lack, the diligent work and they create a plan to get out of that. There's no excuses. They go after, they make a plan and then the diligent will succeed, Proverbs, Proverbs 13, 4. Lazy people want much but get little, but those who work hard will prosper. We cannot live a life different than our character. If you have the heart of a sluggard, your circumstances will reflect that. If, you have a, if you're a diligent person, you have a diligence in your character it may not at this moment, but your circumstances will reflect that. It, it will always go back to that. Maybe for a short time we can pretend. We can pretend for a short time that, we're, that we're, we can kind of lie about our character and pretend about our character. So one, uh, one area in our life where everybody, most everybody will get and understand this is in like a dating relationship or in a marriage or relationship. So uh, at the very beginning of a relationship, you start dating, everybody's on their best behavior. But maybe nine months later, maybe after you're married, then the person defaults back to their true character. So they'll show you who they are at the very beginning. You know, they're charming, they're friendly. An abusive person is never going to show tell you, never going to show you they're abusive on the first date. The, the lazy spiritual guy who has no interest in Jesus but showing up at church to con some of the, you know, some of those single girls. They're never gonna, they're never gonna show you their disinterest in Jesus at the very beginning. 
but slowly over time, you're convincing him to go to church. And then what happens oftentimes is that marriage, then the person who's not, whether it's a guy or a girl, all of a sudden, now that you're married, you can't get them to go to church anymore. We never show, but we'll always default back to that because it's too much work to pretend. We'll always live who we are. The hardest thing to change is our character. Some of these things take years to develop. If, you, if you've got kids and trying to um, develop character in your kids, a work ethic in your kids, I mean, it takes a long time. Uh, one story that I read in, 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 as I was preparing for this message, I don't know if it's true or made up or anything. It's just I read it. And uh, so there's a guy, and he's making all his sons work on the farm um, as they're because they were corn farmers. And one of the neighbors responded, like, you're, um, you're going to an awfully, uh, you're working your sons pretty hard just to raise corn. And the guy responded to his neighbor, I'm not raising corn, I'm raising sons. You, there, it takes a lot of work to make a selfish kid a generous kid. It takes a lot of work to make a lying kid a truthful kid. It takes a lot of work to make a lazy kid uh, a hardworking kid. It makes a lot of work to take a cheating kid to make him an honest kid. We get that in other, it, like it is years of work. And you may not know the fruit of that till they're in their 20s. But in your own life, we don't think that it's that hard of a work, it's that much of a challenge, but it is that much of a challenge. How is the sluggard, how hard is it going to be for a sluggard to develop a work ethic? You don't just wake up one day at 2 p.m. and think like, today's the day I'm going to change. I'm going to be a hard worker today. Because what happens? They're like, that's it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And they get outside and they're like, well, it's a little bit hot out here. Uh, you know what? I forgot I have to really beat that, le that level on Zelda, so I'll, I'll, I'll get back to that tomorrow. A sluggard, when they decide to work hard, they have to work hard, which is the very thing they spent their entire life trying to avoid. So it, it really isn't something you can just make a decision to do, and then one day you'll be that. For us, it starts with repentance. If you want change, you want to, to banish the sluggard in your heart, it starts with repentance. And we're, what we're saying and what we're recognizing is, this is, I'm not just a lazy person. I'm a sinful person. And my sin is revealing itself in laziness. And it is sin and I need Jesus to forgive me, and I need Jesus to help me to live differently. That's where it begins in our life. If this year is going to be different for you, that's where it begins in your life, to recognize that what's going on in your life is no one else's fault, that what's going on is, is what your character created, what's going on is a result of your sin, and then to turn to Jesus and allow him to do the work. And when he works in our life, Sometimes he does things instantaneous, and sometimes he does th this, this process called sanctification, 
It's a big church word, which means he tra- he's transforming us over time. And my testimony, I've shared my testimony at how at 14 years old, I was at a youth group service and God changed my life instantaneously. And I was depressed and I never dealt with depression again at, at any point ever in my life. I was 14 years old when that happened. But you know what he didn't change at that moment? My anger problem. I would still violently strike my brother and my younger brother, um, you know, for a few more years. Uh, I still, it took me a long time to work through anger. And then, and then it still challenged, it still challenged um, every day. I mean, I've got four kids, age nine and under. It's challenged. They challenged me every day. We had a pipe burst in our house. On, uh, everything got warm. And so I don't know when the pipe actually froze, but it thawed this week. And so I was at work. So for a couple hours, it's running in the house. Um, so when I came home, I had to fix that, and, and I was angry about it. Yeah, and that process, that, that one, so depression was instant, but anger has taken me on a process because it's using that to teach me. And sometimes in my sin of that, like I do lose my temper sometimes, it reminds me that I'm not perfected and I still need him, and I can't do it on my own. But that's why Jesus is good news. Because we can't do it on our own. But if we ask Jesus, and if we follow Jesus, he changes us. He forgives us. He transforms us. Every time. For every person. Doesn't matter who you who you are. Doesn't matter how catastrophic your situation is. Doesn't matter how much your character screwed up your life. If you'll ask Jesus, He will forgive you. If you'll ask Jesus, He'll transform your heart. He'll develop a new character in you, and He'll help you to begin creating new circumstances for your life. We don't just. He, he gives us his word. He gives us the Bible, which he speaks to us through and corrects us and, 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 uh, and changes us through. But then also he's given us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, if we make a decision to give our life to Jesus and to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit is within us, empowering us to live the life we cannot live. And one thing you may have heard of before is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So when you make a decision to follow Jesus and you give your life to Jesus and he gives you the Holy Spirit, you're then able to live with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so your life then begins to have these characteristics of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Those things begin to be the outflow of your life, to begin to create the circumstances of your life. Uh, Diligence becomes in your life. Um, uh, 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 Purity becomes in your life. Wisdom comes in your life because God is doing through you what you could never, ever do on your own. Our character creates our circumstances. So what is your character? Are you a sluggard or are you diligent? How will you change and develop your character? Jesus gives us everything we need through the word and through the Holy Spirit. Everything we need. Every single one of us have the opportunity to live out God's 
perfect plans for our life through the Bible and through the Holy Spirit. No one needs to be a victim. No one needs to make excuses. Every one of us can, can, can accomplish and be who God's created us to be. And the question kind of is, are you willing to do the work? Because remember, we're always looking for the shortcut, the convenient, easy solution. We're waiting for God to make us a sandwich. And he's saying, hey, through the word and through the Holy Spirit, I have all the ingredients you need. I have all the instruction you need. I have all the power you need. So, so live it now. And we, and we just like, ah, sorry, maybe, maybe next year. Uh, I'll wait. I'll pass. Thanks. Are you willing to do the work? Now, I'm going to present to you in a moment a, a, a solution. Or, or You want this year to be different. No matter what you're facing, whether you're a sluggard or, or it's a different area in your life, you need change. I'm going to provide for you some, uh, some practical help to help you to begin to create a new character, to begin to follow God, um, to begin to, uh, to, to have your life transformed. But it's going to seem so simple, you're not going to want to do it. Because it's simple, but it's not easy. It's like making a sandwich. I would prefer, like, kids are like, ah, you got any Uncrustables? Um, no, no, we don't. I'm like, get out of here. <laughs> now, I want to just give you, um, I'm going to tell you a little story to help you to understand and catch this. So, I like to tell stories about my house because there's just so many stories. Some pastors like to tell stories of their kids, but eventually, I'm afraid if I tell you too many stories about my kids, like you won't let me be a pastor here anymore. So we'll tell stories about my house. Um, and, and so we bought this house in May, and it's a complete fixer-upper. Like, obviously, I've told you stories about it. I mean, it's just nonstop. And, uh, and so when we moved in, part of the inspection, was, so in the dining room, the ceiling, there was this terrible spackle job with mold all around it. So it was obvious that there was a bathroom above it. So there's a leaking shower, a leaking pipe right above that spot. And um, so I knew it, it would have to be repaired at some point. So we moved in. I didn't touch it for quite some time because as I said last week, like it was pretty urgent uh, we went from urgent project to urgent project, and that wasn't urgent yet. So, um, you know, we were without a kitchen sink for four months. I said that last week, but just to... So when it came time, if it was finally the Saturday morning, I'm going to work on this, and I come up on a ladder, and I cut out the ceiling, and I see this. Um, this is a picture of it, because I took a picture. It's too unbelievable. So what you see... So right here is the spackle that they put on, and then you see all the mold around it. And this right here is the most unbelievable part. If you don't know anything about building, I'll explain it to you. That is uh, spray can insulation that you would use to put around a new window or a new door when you'd have it installed. They put that in a hole in the ceiling to try to fix the leak that was in the tub. It was just unbelievable. I'd never seen anything so crazy. So... I ripped it all out and cleaned out the mold, and then I was trying to find the leak. So I'm up on the ladder. I've got my head in the ceiling. I've got a flashlight, and I had Michelle's upstairs. So she turns on the water, 
and I'm looking, I'm shining a flashlight, no water's coming. Now, I didn't leak all the time, but occasionally there'd be a lot of water that would come out. And um, so I said, well, so maybe it's the drain in the, in the shower. So I, sent, I tell Michelle, all right, get in the shower and, um, and jump up and down. So she jumps up and down, no water's coming out, because I think maybe the tub's flexing and it's coming out through the drain. I said, all right, well, like, stand right in the drain, jump up and down there. No, no water anywhere. So I'm like, all right, let's switch spots. I weigh more than you. Maybe that's the problem. It's only, um, it's only under extreme stress that, that it's leaking. So I go up, and, and I'm jumping in the tub, and, and she's looking, and there's no water coming out. There's not a drip. There's not moisture. There's nothing. So I'm like, I mean, I, I've been in the house when I'd see water coming out, so I knew it happened. And so I'm thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it, and I think, I, know what the, I think I know what the problem is. And the solution was 30 cents of silicone. And what happened is, as my kids are taking showers, the water's draining off their head onto the shower wall, which is going behind the handles of the shower and then dripping down the, out, the, the inside of the shower wall to the ceiling. And so 30 cents of silicone around the shower handles solved the problem. That was at 30 cents. It was such a simple solution, but it took 20 minutes of investigative work and the person before me thought, you know what, I don't want to deal with this. Let's fill it with, let's spend $6 when we could have spent 30 cents and just fill it up and, and pretend like the problem's not there. What I'm about to give you is a simple solution, but again, it's, it's going to take you time. It's going to take you some discipline. And you may, from the very, back, very, back, like at the very beginning of this, say, like, nah, nah, it's too much work, but if you'll do this, God will change your life. So I want you to get out your phone, get out your notebook, open your Bible. I want you to write this down because I don't want you to forget it. Here's what we're going to do this week. I want you to read Proverbs, which is the series that we're in. Now, I don't want you to just read it because many of you have done this before. You read it and you get to the end of it, you close your Bible, you don't even remember anything you just read. You were reading it, but you know, doing other things at the same time. And I don't want you to do that. I want you... There's, um, I want you to have, um, in the church world, we call like a devotional or a quiet time. Excuse me. And there's an acronym that people all over the country use to help them in their devotional time. And I said, I want to teach it to you. And I want us to all do this this week. So the acronym is SOAP, S-O-A-P. And, and so people do this to help them in their devotional time. And let me explain what it is. So the S stands for scripture. So tonight, when you open your Bible and you begin reading in Proverbs 1.1, you read until the scripture stands out to you. So you could read one verse. It could be Proverbs 1.1, and then all of a sudden, it stands out to you. And I want you to write down that verse in your Bible, whatever it is. And then the next, the O stands for observation. And so then I want you, the next part you write down is what you think God's saying or what this means or just what you observe in the scripture. You write that down. Then the third part is application. So you write down what you think God wants you to do in response to this scripture. So you write that down, and the last part is prayer. And you can pray, but I encourage you this week to write down your prayer. In my moments of crisis or in my moments of desperation, I write my prayers down. So I don't do this all the time, but occasionally I do this because it, help, it, it forces me to slow down and really think about what I'm doing and not get distracted. And so I really lay my heart out before God when I write that down. So 
to write down these three things. This could take you 10 minutes. It could take you 20 minutes. It's not a lot of time, but it, it is a lot. But if you'll do this, if you'll do this this week, God will change you this week. If you'll do this this year, God will absolutely transform your life this year. When you finish reading Proverbs, you can just continue on to another book in the Bible. And as you do this, he'll transform you. He'll change your character. And you'll become a different person without even really recognizing it. And other people will speak to it. And they'll say, hey, you're always smiling now. What happened in your life? You're like, I smile? Like, oh, what in the... Um, you know, um, your, your spouse will say, like, when did you become such a great husband or such a great wife? And you're like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I am? You know? There'll be a change in your life that others will likely recognize before you do. And then if you've never, if you don't believe in Jesus, as you begin reading the Bible, Jesus will be revealed to you. And when that happens, give your heart to him. Give your life to him in that moment. And you may even want to do that now. I want to take a moment and I want to pray for you. So if everybody would close your eyes, I um, just want to pray. So if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, but right now you want to make that decision, you can just pray a prayer like this. You can put this in your own words. You can pray this now. You can pray this later. But you just pray something like, Jesus, I give you my life right now. I make a decision to follow you. I give you my heart. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and, and I ask you to change and transform me and, and I ask you to be my Savior and my God. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you just keep your eyes closed. Man, there are things you've been convicted of. You, there are areas in your life where you just recognize you've been lazy, you've been a sluggard and I want you to confess these things to God in this moment right now. The band's going to sing for, uh, for just a minute. And you take this time between you and God to talk to him about what's going on in your heart, to talk to him about what you need to be different. And, you know, it's not going to be easy to banish the sluggard from your heart, but it's going to be very rewarding to work through it. You're going to be challenged to quit, but don't quit when it gets hard, but turn to Jesus. And he'll empower you to work through the next moment. He'll empower you to make it through the next day. And you will find yourself six months from now, a year from now, a different person in Jesus' name.